This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Hey, everybody, my name is Brent. And you're listening to the LJS Podcast, episode number seven, where today we're going to be talking about how playing free can make you a better improviser. And joining us today is a very special guest, saxophonist Josiah Bornasian. So you're definitely going to want to check out this entire episode. And all the music on today's podcast is by Josiah Bornasian. So if you like the music and you like what you're hearing, you want to buy his album, go to josiahbornasian.com. And you can also find that in our show notes. There's a link for that website in our show notes if you're checking this out on the website. And stay tuned at the very end of the episode. We have a very special track never heard before from a brand new album that Josiah is on, a brand new composition. So you're going to want to stick around to check that out at the end of the episode. And one more thing I want to do before we get started here. If you find value in this podcast, in this episode, consider adding value back. This podcast is 100% funded by you, our listeners. So if you enjoy this episode, consider adding a donation and click our support button below the player. If you're not listening to this on the website, go to www.learnjazzstandards.com support and you can help us out there. Okay, so without further ado, let's bring on Josiah Bornasian, and we're going to talk about how playing free can make you a better improviser. Show, we got saxophonist Josiah Bornasian with us today. Josiah, thanks for being with us, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, so I, I know you. We went to college together. You're doing your master's program at the City College of New York. I was doing my bachelor's program. Uh, we played together a little bit, but for most people listening, they probably don't know who you are. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from a small town in California in the Mojave Desert, and I grew up in Central California. I went to college in uh, Los Angeles. I went to California State University, Northridge. They've got a great, great jazz program there. Then I moved to New York, and like you said, I met you at City College of New York when I was teaching there and getting my master's degree. And then I finished up at City College and decided to try for my doctorate. So I've been uh, kind of trying to get a situation that's positive, and I've lucked out. I'm going to be starting at the University of Miami this fall, and I'll be teaching there uh, and getting a free doctorate. So... Beautiful. Yeah. So we caught you just in between uh, a little bit of traveling here. So we're happy to have you on the show. Glad we could uh, talk to you about these things today. And and I want to talk specifically uh, today about something that I, I, I think you're well qualified to talk about, and that is practicing playing free 
uh, in your practice sessions and your playing, how a lot of people, they treat playing free is like a, a genre and not necessarily something to actually work on or practice or how it can you know, benefit, you know, just playing over jazz standards, for example. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about that and, and just ask you to start with, you know, how do you incorporate playing free in your practicing? Well, you brought up a good point there. First of all, playing free, is it's really both. It's, it's a style or a genre of music, right. you know, kind of arose probably in like the 1950s or 60s, thereabouts. And uh, it's sometimes related to or called avant-garde jazz, too. And some people love it. Some people are not, not so crazy about it. It's got a reputation for being kind of frenetic music. But so it's not just a style, though. It's also just an approach to making music, which you can incorporate into your practicing. So regardless of you know whether you like free jazz as a genre or a style or not, um, I'm a big advocate of incorporating free playing into your playing. And the idea is it's, it's sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's that you, you improvise with no set sort of rules or, or restrictions. You're, you're not playing over a tune. You're not playing a composition that you've uh, memorized or written out beforehand. So um, first of all, just as an ensemble, I guess I'll start with ensemble and then talk about how I do individually. Uh, I have done a lot of work with free ensembles, uh, both in college and outside of college. And I found that it's really great for developing group cohesion and Interesting, it's, yeah. it's yeah, it's really great also for developing your ears. So as if you're playing in an ensemble um, and you're trying to get to know your fellow bandmates, sort of the quickest way to kind of get to know their tastes is to play free with them. Because when you're playing free, if you just start improvising, uh, you don't have anything to base your improvisation on except your imagination. So right. everyone's personalities come out right away. And it's also a good way to learn really quickly what your strengths and weaknesses are as a player and what your ensemble's strengths and weaknesses are as a player. So a lot of the ensembles I work with in every rehearsal, if I kind of am in charge, I like to, to start with a couple minutes of playing free. Now, in addition to doing it with an ensemble, you can do it as an individual. You can improvise freely. And this is where I might sound almost like I'm contradicting myself or it's a paradox. But sometimes you can get the most out of your free playing if you turn it into almost like a game where you set sort of restrictions or rules or guidelines and then improvise freely within that context. So what you can do is really focus in on one aspect of music making that you want to work on. So um, let's say you just want to work on developing your ears. Well, there are a lot of fun sort of free jazz ear training games you can do. So one of them is, for example, like if you're a horn player, you get together with a guitarist or a pianist, have them play random notes on their instrument, and whatever they play, you play it back. And that can get oh, a yeah. little bit so, so, so like you know, listening to what they're doing and trying to copy it, basically. Yeah. So you can start with just like one pitch at a time, but that gets kind of boring and non-musical kind of quick. So you know, there are some fun ways you can turn it into a game or turn it into music. So one is uh, you could build a line together. So let's say you're on guitar, I'm on saxophone. You play one note, I play back the note that you just played for me, and then I add a note. So now it's two notes. And then you play your original note plus the one that I just played, and then add a third note. And we go back and forth until we've built this line that we're improvising oh, together. That, that, that's interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Th th I can see that. Th that would be a challenge, actually. I actually yeah. really want to try that sometime. And it's not just for your, your ears. It's also great for challenging your memory, too, because obviously right. the longer the line gets, the more you have to uh, keep it in your, in your memory, hold it in your memory as you're working on it. So there's a ton of games you can do like that. 
um, with other people. So you can uh, you can have sort of like a guiding principle or a concept for your improvisation, and it can start restrictive and get really loose. You don't have to stick to it the whole time, or you can try and keep it the whole time. You'll probably get the same out of uh, the same benefits, no matter which how hard how strictly you stick to it or not. So you know, for example, you could say let's improvise based around the interval of a minor sixth, and start with the minor sixth as being kind of like the the, the melodic interval that you're going to build your improvisation around. So you're set you're setting guidelines for your free playing. Yeah. It, 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 to to for a practice sense, right? Exactly. And you, again, you can do this individually, or you can do it with an ensemble. Um, so it could be a specific concrete guideline, like for example, uh, let's focus on working on our time. Again, could be by yourself with a metronome or with an ensemble, with or without a metronome. You could say, okay, so let's improvise freely but in time. So have somebody set up a pulse, maybe the drummer mm-hmm. set up a pulse. But hey, you know, it doesn't have to have a meter per se. It doesn't have to have. It doesn't necessarily have to be swing or straight or bossa or whatever. But just set up time and improvise and focus really on grooving in a pulse as an individual or an ensemble. Or you could say, um, uh, it could be more abstract, and you could say, let's try and improvise the ocean, you know, or something. Oh, yeah, it's more of like a... a yeah, a, a vibe a, thing. A vibe, you know, almost or, spiritual, or creativity, you know, inspirational. <laughs> yeah, or let's improvise mezzo-piano and, and make it very meditative, or, you know... See, now just you're speaking so, my language, man, you know. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> but, but so the great thing is, again, is, is, is you're, you're sort of killing a ton of birds with one stone, because yeah. you're always going to be working on your ears when you're improvising freely because when you don't have a tune to base your improvisation on you don't have a, a set melody or chord changes you don't you can't fall back on it and rely on the things you've worked out in the practice room so it really forces you to address your ears to be totally open and connected with the people you're playing with or if you're just playing by yourself you've got to be really connected to the sound that's coming out of your right. instrument and to be building your your musical ideas off of that so I think it's great, you know, you work on your ears. You can also incorporate your imagination because obviously, again, if you don't have a tune you're playing over, you can only rely on your memory and your imagination. Right. And again, if you're working in an ensemble, it's great for working on group cohesion too. Well, and I think one thing that a, a common misconception when people hear the word, you know, we're going to play free is they think of it has to be avant-garde. It has to be out there and, and weird. But I think, you know, when it comes down to what free really is... It's really just, you know, you know, we're not necessarily playing uh, a standard and, and playing perfectly in between these certain lines and play, you know, you're, you're using your imagination and, and just going wherever you want it to go. Um, and like you said, you can set up these stipulations, these rules that you want to work on for practice reasons, or you can just play and go away and use your imagination. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be weird or or abstract all the time. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, totally. And you can incorporate free improvisation into standards, and you can incorporate it into your own compositions. You know, for example, you could be playing a standard and say, okay, maybe for one of the soloists, let's just not worry about keeping the form. Uh-huh. And you could still be improvising, you know, in the key of the tune. If it's in A flat, you're still improvising in A flat. You could still be improvising with time and a meter. You could still be improvising, you know, based on the general ideas of like the melodic and harmonic suggestions of the tune's basic structure, but you're just not being so concerned about necessarily keeping the form and then just have, you know, somebody cue uh, with the melody to get back onto the form. Or in your own compositions, I do this often in my compositions, I'll have sections of free improvisation built into the composition for, for part of the solo section. And again, we'll just use visual cues or musical cues to get us back onto the written music or back into the form. 
And so a lot of times, uh, again, you know, when I'm in, when I'm improvising freely, whether it's on a gig or on a recording session or um, during uh, my practicing, it it's not an aesthetic thing 100%. So it's not that I'm playing free because I want it to sound frenetic and wacky and wild like right. experimental 1960s free jazz. Um, a lot of times uh, when you're really focused in on your ears, it can it can sound more through composed than some through composed things. It can sound right. even it could sound even more like a standard than, you know, somebody who's improvising and kind of going outside of the changes on a standard. So so again, like you brought up a good point. It's not an aesthetic thing per se. It could sound wacky and crazy and frenetic and outside. It could. But free improvisation, especially if the musicians have good ears and they're kind of simpatico, they've got a good musical connection with each other, sometimes it could be beautiful and it can sound very consonant and everyone could be playing in the same key, they could be playing with the same time feel and so on and so forth. free playing has done um you know i haven't always applied it in some of those you know some of the ways you're talking about which i think is incredibly enlightening um but one thing that i started doing free at the especially at the beginning of my practice sessions um was almost like a therapeutic thing you know because sometimes jazz musicians we get you know musicians in general we get all wrapped up in um, okay, am I playing the language right? Am I doing this right? Or is that line sound just like Sonny Rollins played it? Or you know, we get so caught up in the rules and the behavior that it can be so uh, almost stressful <laughs> to to have all these these stipulations. And and I found it very fit, like therapeutic, just to start by starting your practice session just playing whatever. It doesn't really matter. Doesn't have, again, doesn't have to be weird. Just let your imagination flow and play and don't care necessarily what you're playing. So in a therapeutic sense, I think it can be a great thing to do. Uh, when I was in college, we did this uh, class and part of the class was uh, the, the, the prof just had us playing free, basically. And afterwards, it opened up for comments. You know, all the students could comment on what you did. And one of my friends told me, uh, made a comment, that was the most relaxed I've ever heard you play. And I thought about that a lot after that, and I realized that the reason it felt more relaxed is because I just let myself go. And I think if we can practice even that side of playing free, it's going to come out in our playing in, in other aspects, even when we are kind of trying to go for a very particular thing. So... Yeah, totally. I mean, you've you've hit on like one of the fundamental controversies or conundrums or sort of paradoxes of jazz, and it's that you know we do have this big tradition, and we we need to we need to know the language, and we need to spend a lot of time practicing in a way that's very disciplined and focused and analytical. But also fundamentally, you know, there's this other side of jazz that's based on imagination and freedom and experimentation and innovation and also just joy and having fun. And you uh, you addressed this in one of the earlier podcasts on practicing. You know, it's important when we're practicing to always take time to also just have fun, 
to just have fun with our instruments. And playing free is super fun. And especially yeah. <laughs> the better you get as a musician and the more that your ears latch on to what other people are doing, it's really fun. It's low pressure. It's low stakes because you don't need to stress about, oh, keep nailing all the changes and keeping track of the form and you know fitting in all of the, the vocab that you're working on. And it is, it's also very therapeutic. It's, it's almost like a, a meditative or like a yoga sort of thing because it really focuses you in on that reconnecting of your imagination, your memories, your emotion, and your experiences with your ears and your instrument, with no sort of wall or, vi- or veil or barrier between your imagination and what you're hearing and what you're trying to play. And I think that's right. really important because sometimes we can sort of hide behind our technique or, or we can maybe just get so distracted behind the fundamentals and the rudiments of trying to sound good which is important but again maybe it sometimes can detract from the actual raw deep core emotional expression of what we're trying to do right. as musicians right yeah and you mentioned you mentioned some practices earlier you know doing playing things with other people like that ear training exercise where you you know play a note and they play a note back i, I also think just literally playing you know free with maybe just two people maybe you and one other person and just start having a musical conversation with each other um you, you know again with without playing a standard or something it could be really great just to do that and i think the key is you're using your ear i mean you've talked about that a lot so far is you're listening to what the other person is doing and the better you get at that the more you're going to be able to create a meaningful dialogue with somebody else rather than Rather than just I'm playing my stuff and you're playing your stuff, you know, it's almost like we're talking together at the same time. I mean, you, what you want to practice, you know, is 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 having a musical conversation. And and outside of playing free, you want to be applying that to if you're playing in the most traditional sense, like you're playing all the things you are or something like that. You want to be listening to the rest of the band. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And, and going going on that for a little bit. How important do you think ear training is in jazz? Oh, I think it's it's of paramount importance. It might be the most important thing, and you you hit on one of the key points, which is again, it kind of kind of goes back to the idea of again that you know I was talking about the balances. Another one of the balancing acts that we always have to do as improvisers in a jazz setting or in any musical setting, really, but particularly as a jazz improviser, we have to balance. Uh, the focus on ourselves and listening to ourselves to make sure that we're aware of what we're playing and that it, it, we're playing, you know, what we want to be playing. But also, you know, we're playing in an ensemble and we're playing in a context that is totally based on communication and dialogue, like you said. So you also need to get outside of your own head, step outside of your own self for a little bit, and also co- really connect with the people you're playing with. You know, and as you've talked about on some previous podcasts, you know, and as all of us intuitively know, some of the best recordings and the best gigs that we've ever heard or participated in are the ones when we just really connect with the music and really connect with the people around us and open up this kind of interactive conversational dialogue. Well, that can only take place if you've got really good ears. Right. So, you know, just like you can only have a conversation in a language... If you really ha- you really have a good deep understanding of the language itself, of the vocabulary, of the grammar, of you know how to deal with different accents, so it, you know music is the same way, and the grammar and the vocabulary of music are you know scales, chords, melodies, rhythms. So just like you know you guys who are listening to Brent and I have this conversation right now, we have a common language, 
and you can recognize by ear what we're saying and it has a meaning attached to it, you've got to develop the same skills with music. You know, if you hear a chord, you need to be able to know, is that a minor chord or is that a major chord? You know, does it have a seventh and a ninth or does it have a suspended fourth? So um, there are a lot of great ways you can develop your ear to kind of prep you for your free playing, uh, whether you're going to do it in a practice situation or on a gig or a record, it doesn't matter. It's all going to be beneficial. And and by extension, all of that will help your playing on standards or on your original compositions too, because it's all one giant skill set that's intertwined. myself on piano playing random chords. Most of them are standard jazz chord voicings, like, you know, standard jazz piano voicings. Um, Some of them are a little bit wackier, um, you know, so I'll record like a a five to ten second clip of myself playing a chord on the piano, and then once I'm done playing the chord, I say what it is, you know, so I'll play G7 and say G dominant 7, and then I spliced it all up into a bunch of individual tracks threw it onto an iTunes playlist. Oh, I hit play. Interesting. I put it on shuffle. I hit play. And, um, you know, I've got 200 or something of these. And so I'll sit there for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and I'll hear the chord come through my speakers on my computer, and I immediately just try to play whatever my instinct is of what I hear. And usually I end up kind of hitting the top note of the chord voicing, you know, because that's what usually sticks out to your ear is if there's like a ninth on the top, you'll kind of hear that ninth. And then I just fill in the rest of the chord and or I fill in the rest of the mode that goes on with the chord. And I'm getting really, really quick at it. And it's not it doesn't have to be a super like intellectual or pedantic thing where you go, oh, well, that is clearly, you know, like a G7 chord with a sharp 11 and a flat nine on top. No, it's more about just the sounds. Yeah, the sounds connecting what you're hearing out there in the world to what that sounds like on your instrument. Right. So that you can react really quickly. So that's one of the things I do. And then again, the ear training games um, are you can do with other people. You know, so sit down with a friend, have them play a melody and play it back to them. Uh, have them play a chord for you or a chord progression. Try naming it, be like, oh, that's a 2-5. Or play along with it and try and figure out the key as quickly as you can. And it's just like anything else. Through trial and error and repetition, you'll develop uh, sort of a connection with the music where you'll know by instinct what a, a note or a chord sounds like on your instrument. So you'll be able to more instantly react. And again, it's not that you always have to play exactly what you're getting, what you're hearing. So, you know, if you're in a free situation, you know, and somebody plays a chord that's, you know, a G minor chord or whatever, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to play the G minor. But you want to know, you want to be aware of what they're playing right. so that you're making a conscious artistic choice to either play inside the key or outside of the key. Just like when you play on a standard, you have to know the changes. Yeah, it's the it's, it's, it's that whole thing where it's like you got to know the rules to break them, right? I think totally. you actually talked about that in a in an article you did the other week for the blog. Um, you you touched base on it, anyways. Um, and so you know, the, I think that one's called the whole truth about jazz vocabulary. Look it up if you're on the website. But you touch base on that a little bit, and you do. You have to know what you're hearing. You have to know the rules before you can break them. And that's the beautiful thing. You can either break them. Or you don't have to if you don't want to. Exactly. But you don't have that choice in the first place if you can't recognize by ear what you're hearing. And so I think ear training is, like I said, you know, it's the mo- it's 
arguably the most important aspect of yeah. of jazz, especially because you know, as all of us who have studied the the tradition of jazz know, a lot of the early jazz musicians were what we would call illiterate, which just right. means that they they can't necessarily read or write written music per se. So uh, you know, in, in a sense, almost the whole foundation of of the jazz idiom of the jazz history is based on people learning things by ear. And so you know those guys had to have incredible ears. And back in the day, before people had the technology to transcribe solos, you know, and before there were published books with standards and with solo transcriptions in them, everybody, all the vocabulary they learned was necessarily by ear. You know, so if you wanted to play like a certain performer, you had to show up to their gigs, listen very closely to what they're playing, try and memorize it, and then go home and try it out. Or show up <laughs> to a jam session and try and figure out on the spot what someone's trying to play. Or, you know, you listen to something on the radio or you listen to something on a record. And, um, you know, obviously not everybody had access to those things anyway. So it's, again, you know, maybe the whole foundation of jazz is basically an oral tradition, you know, meaning it's an ear-based, ear-training-based tradition. It wasn't necessarily meant to be read off a piece of paper, you know. I mean, and that's one thing about jazz education. I, I love jazz education. I'm all for it. I'm not against it. I know there's people that have issues with it. Oh, you're you're institutionalizing jazz. Um, I think there's a lot of positives, positives to it. But I think it's, it's just really important to keep that oral tradition going like that that can never be left out uh, and that's why uh, on this website all the time we're saying you know listen to the music transcribe the music i think this is a great new thing to add is playing free that's something we haven't talked a lot about so um i really appreciate you bringing this to the forefront for sure um okay so josiah you have a new record coming out that's right yeah, so last summer I recorded an album with a great Italian pianist. His name is Alessandro Fudini. We mm-hmm. have a German bass player named Jacob Dreyer and American drummer Luke Markham. We're all good buddies. We've been hanging out and playing in New York together for a number of years, playing each other's music, and we decided to go in the studio. So we've got an album coming out. It's going to be under Alessandro's name, but I've contributed some compositions as well. It's all original music, what you might call modern jazz a lot of improvisation a lot of good compositions that's coming out on fresh sound records sometime by the end of this calendar year um and then we also just got out of the studio in the past week and a half we recorded some more material so we'll have at least a second if not a third record coming out in the next year or so which by the way includes some freely improvised duets between me and the pianist, Alessandro, that we recorded on the spot in the studio, on the spur of the so moment. So exactly what we're talking about today. Exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> so you've got to check that out. You know, it's going to go right along with it. And uh, for the record, on my first record that came out in, uh, it's a few years old now, but I have an album out called Intersection. There oh, are yeah. some interludes in between some of the tracks. I think they're, I think I called them Interfree, so it's like Interfree 1. And it's actually just me and the other saxophone player, a good friend of mine, Matt DiGiovanna, who was on the record. We just freely improvised together as a saxophone duo, and uh, they fit really well into the compositions I was writing for the album, so I fit them in as sort of interludes. So that album is available. You can check it out on my website, JosiahBornAsian.com. It's also available on Bandcamp.com. And uh, then I also did a live album with uh, Jacob Sachs, Wes Reed, and Andrea Veneziani that you can check out on my website as well. Awesome. Okay, Josiah, we thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. It's been a blast. We hope you all got a lot out of this conversation today. So thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and I hope you guys all start playing free a lot now. (laughs) 
right, that's all for today's episode. We want to thank you for joining us and thanks for listening. And if you have any comments to add, any questions, you can do that below in our comment section. Uh, We'd love to hear from you and love to hear about your thoughts on playing free and how that can help you with your improvising. And also remember that all the music on today's show is by Josiah Bornasian, our guest. You can check him out at josiahbornasian.com. And remember that if you enjoyed today's show and you got something out of it, consider adding some value back to us. Feel free to support us by leaving a donation by clicking the support button below or visit www.learnjazzstandards.com slash support. We're going to be coming out with episode number eight next week. But before we do that, we have a very special treat. We have a never heard before exclusive track from an upcoming album Uh, This is a a, a composition by Josiah Bornasian, and it's called Juno. Enjoy.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.